Hey, greetings, fellow travelers. This is Monty, and welcome to my podcast. Hey, I have had a really big hiatus between these last two. Life has been a little crazy, but I'm really looking forward to getting back in a podcasting groove. I have some thoughts for this next season coming up of some really great interviews and conversations. Also, don't forget that you can uh, catch me over on my blog, which is montywright.com. That's M-O-N-T-Y-W-R-I-G-H-T.com. You can always pick me up there or you can join me on Facebook, um, MC Wright, or Instagram to MC Wright, and the Twitterverse, MC Wright, on all of those. Anyway, I'd love to have you uh, connecting with me and having a conversation with me on whatever platform works for you. Well, hey, as uh, we are digging in today, I'm excited about our conversation, so I hope you're ready to launch into a new season, because today we are going to talk about Dayenu, Russians, and really good wine. All right, welcome back. It is time for episode eight of the podcast. We are talking about Dayenu, Russians, (laughs) and really good wine. Oh, don't you just love that title? I I said, I'm like, when I, when I, when I penned that and I was writing it down, I was like, I would listen to that. So I hope, uh, I hope those are intriguing to you as we dig in today. We're going to start with a conversation about Dayenu, but in order to understand what Dayenu is, you have to go back a little farther in history to the Exodus. You see, Dayenu is a song or it's a lyric that is recited or, or sung during the Passover meal. And the Passover is this grand meta narrative story that is like the story of stories. It's the story of of bondage and deliverance. It's the, the story about having everything and then losing it all. And then God stepping in and helping you reclaim the things that you lost. It is this amazing story. And it's also this story that reminds us that every day uh, we're called to exodus from something to something, something so much better than we're even experiencing in the present, right? But the exodus story, uh, we are looking at the nation of Israel who was just uh, beat up, punched down, kicked around, and and they find themselves uh, in slavery in the empire of their day, which was Egypt. And so they had been a free nation and they had found rescue and respite in Egypt and then over time became slaves to the very nation that protected them and saved them. And in a different way, isn't that just true on so many things in our own lives, those things that we moved that we move towards that seem to give us hope and salvation or freedom or health or help uh, over time can become something that's confining, keeps us from growing and in a way can enslave us. Something that was so good became something that was so bad. (laughs) Well, Israel finds themselves literally as slaves in this 
massive military empire of the day known as Egypt. But God is going to free his people. He's going to deliver them. And so we see the Exodus narrative. Uh, God sets up a, a series of plagues uh, that are that are offered from via Moses, signs to try to loosen Pharaoh's heart, and uh, Pharaoh just doesn't budge. It's not till the final plague, the, the worst one, the, the death of the firstborn, do we see Pharaoh move in releasing the people. And so at the Passover meal, and by the way, that's the meal that Jesus was sharing with his disciples in the upper room on the night uh, uh, he was betrayed. And so we tend to think that was the night he instituted communion. Well, he, he wasn't instituting communion. He was celebrating the Passover, the story of deliverance from bondage. So what a powerful night for him of all nights to break bread. Now, it's interesting, the, the rabbis tell us, and even the great Rabbi Gamaliel tell us that if you're going to recount or retell the Exodus story at Passover, there are three elements that you need to make sure that you talk about. The first element is the sacrifice, you know, of the, the lamb, the perfect unblemished lamb, that the blood of the lamb would be applied to the top and the sides of the door, doorways of the, of the uh, Israelites' homes so that when the death angel came into the land, it would pass over. It would see the blood and pass over. So they said, you have to talk about the sacrifice of that lamb. You also need to talk about the unleavened bread or the matzah. So the unleavened uh, bread um, was, re all the leaven was removed so it wouldn't rise because they had to leave in haste. So it was baked flat. It was striped because of the grates it was baked on, and it was also pierced so it would bake quicker. So no sin, pierced, striped. <laughs> What's interesting is when you celebrate the Passover meal, I have this bag, and uh, it's called the matzotosh. And the, the matzotosh, is that a, just a cool word, the matzotosh? It just really means bag for the unleavened bread or bag for the matzah. But you put three pieces in there. And it's the middle piece that at one point during the Passover, we pull it out. We pull out this piece of a matzah that has no leaven in it. And remember, in the scriptures, in the Tanakh, that's the Old Testament, we call it the Old Testament, or the Hebrew Bible. And in the New Testament, Paul talks about this. Leaven is a symbol of sin. So to have unleavened bread means that there is no, it has this, it has this purity to it. And, and so you have this pure unleavened bread that's been striped and pierced and, and it's in the middle of two other pieces and it forms this unity. As it could mean a couple different things. You know, some of the rabbis would say it represents the unity of the patriarchs, um, Abraham, Isaac uh, and Jacob could be the the unity of the worship system, the priests, the Levites, and, and the people. Um, you could see, obviously, from our perspective, we might see a little different unity uh, in the in the followers of Jesus tradition that we see maybe a unity in Father, Son, and Spirit. But what's interesting, it's this middle piece that's pulled out. 
that ha- that is sinless, <laughs> no leaven, right? And it's been pierced and striped, and that brings our minds to Isaiah 53, the prophecy of the suffering servant that who would be pierced for our sins, and uh, then by his stripes, it also says that we're healed. What's wild is this piece during the during the dinner, there comes a point where the middle piece of matzah is pulled out and it's broken half, and that and one half uh, is then wrapped in a white linen cloth, and then it's hidden, and it will be ransomed back later in the night. And, and they call we call that piece the afakomen, which means it comes later, and it's the dessert bread of of the meal. What's so wild is just the imagery there. The afakomen, this pierced and striped piece of of bread, and of course, as Jesus linked himself to you know the bread of life, uh, it is he it is then wrapped, buried, and brought back, broken, buried, and brought back. What beautiful imagery of what. Uh, so many followers of Jesus celebrate uh, at Easter or Resurrection Sunday. But so we have the Passover lamb, perfect, perfect, spotless, unblemished. The blood of the lamb would appease the death angel. We have the second piece, which must be talked about in Passover celebrations of the unleavened bread or the matzah that's pierced and striped. It's broken. It's buried. It's brought back. Uh, And then the third thing uh, that you have to talk about at Passover in recounting the story is is the maror or the bitter herbs. And this is where we start to make our segue towards Dainu. As you see, what the maror uh, really represents is that life can be hard. I think in our day and age in America, we just... We are always trying to avoid pain. We're looking for the easiest route. We're looking, we're looking for the magic bullet, the magic pill that can take all the pain and all the ache and all the hurt, all of the gnarly blood, sweat, and tears of life away. And the reality that the Exodus story reminds us is that sometimes life is just hard. Sometimes it's bitter. Sometimes we are experiencing harshness. And it's not always what we long for, right? And so you would dip your matzah into the maror and take a bite. And often when you take a big bite of that maror, it's like horseradish sauce, right? Your your eyes tear up because you're reminded that there are tears in this life. One of the other neat things, though, is... uh, a food item is called the cheroset, and the cheroset is like this mixture of nuts and apple chunks and honey and spices, and it is gorgeous. I love the imagery that you take the you take the matzah, you dip it into the maror, the bitter herbs, and then you dip it in the cheroset, which was a, a reminder of uh, of kind of like the mortar to make the bricks that the children of Israel slaved day in and day out to do, and. And then, and that cheroset just neutralizes the bitter herb, the maror. It tastes beautiful. And, and when you eat that in the Passover, you are reminding yourselves as you enter into the story that even though life can be bitter, that with God, 
there can always be moments of joy and beauty in life, no matter how hard the days get. And then that leads us to this uh, song, this lyric, Dainu. And, and Dainu, there's 15 statements, and they build, and they really build throughout the whole Exodus story, and it's so good. Uh, they start with five stanzas about the movement from slavery. Then it, it moves into five more stanzas about God's miraculous uh, miracle working for the children of Israel. And, and then the last five stanzas talk about life with God. And, and Dainu, in and of itself, it means it would have been sufficient. And so as you are reading the, the, the lyric for Dainu, it, it starts and builds. It's like, man, God, if God had only done this and not that, it, it just would have been enough. If, if God had then done this and not that, it, it just would have been enough. The beauty of the song is it, it really helps us recenter. It helps us think. It helps us move towards a, a life where we're not always desiring, always needing to own or to hoard. Uh, a, a life where we're not always the victim. A life where we see the blessings and the goodness of God, even if he doesn't do some of the things that we long for. I also think Dainu might be one of the hardest portions of the whole meal. I just want to read through um, the lyrics and then you can see uh, for yourself how, how it builds, how it builds through. Verse one, if he, meaning God, if he had brought us out from Egypt and had not carried out judgments against them, Dianu, it would have been enough. If he had carried out judgments against them and not against their idols or their gods, Dainu, it would have been enough. If he had destroyed their idols but had not smitten their firstborn, Dainu. If he had smitten their firstborn and had not given us their wealth, <laughs> Dainu. If he had given us their wealth and had not split the sea for us, Dainu. If he had split the sea for us and had not taken us through it on dry land, Dainu would have been enough. If he had taken us through the sea on dry land and had not drowned our oppressors in it, Dainu. If he had drowned our oppressors in it, but had not supplied our needs in the desert for 40 years, Dainu. If he had supplied our needs in the desert for 40 years and had not fed us the manna, Dainu. If he had fed us the manna and had not given us the Sabbath, Dainu. If he had given us the Sabbath and had not brought us before Mount Sinai, Dainu, that would have been enough. If he had brought us before Mount Sinai and had not given us the Torah, Dainu. Uh, if he had given us the Torah and had not brought us into the land of Israel, Dainu. 
if he had brought us into the land of Israel, but not built for us the temple, Dainu. Isn't that just so good? It's like, wow. How many of us approach our life with God and it's like, it's never enough. It's never the right thing. It's, we never have a, a Dainu moment. It's like, man, if you had delivered us through the Red Sea but hadn't taken out our enemies, it would have been enough. If, if you had taken out our enemies and then didn't lead us and protect us for 40 years while we wandered in the wilderness, that would have been enough. It's, if you had just brought us to Mount Sinai and hadn't given us manna, you know, all, all of these things... But where I think Dainu is, is also a hard thing today is that sometimes when life gives us the maror or those bitter herbs, oh man, we are just shipwrecked, right? Our, our souls are on the rocks and we're begging and we're pleading and nothing's enough. It's hard to sing Dainu when weapons are used in our country to kill kids in schools. When we look at the nuclear armament of the global world, when we look at the darkness that is just everywhere, it's really hard to say Dainu, isn't it? I just think that's honest. And I wonder... I wonder how a people who have had have been so oppressed for so many years and had been under the control of one nation to another to another to another to another how, how Israel sings that every year I bet there's a moment while they're reciting the words that maybe there's just some pain there's a deep hum in their soul going ah this year I just don't know if I can say Dainu. Because I think what God's desire would be for me and for you is that Dainu is, is a reality that, that, we, that we actually would believe it's good enough. That if God, if you had done nothing else for me, nothing at all, uh, but send your son, Dainu. That if you have done nothing else for me, that just knowing you, having access to your beauty and your goodness and growing my capacity to see things in other people differently, that, that God, just the fact that you love me, die anew, but then the maror comes and it gets so hard. I don't... I don't think what God wants is for us to do the phony smile, Dainu. Hey, everything's just fine. I think what he wants us to do is to search for him in the midst of the maror or the bitter herbs. I think we tend to think we'll find him in that cheroset, the sweet honey mixture, but I don't know about you. But boy, my journey's been when God shows up the most and when God works the most, when God heals the most, when I'm most satisfied in God the most, 
is when I am working through the bitter herbs of life. And that reminds me <laughs> of some Russians. <laughs> You're wondering how in the world are we going to bridge Maror, <laughs> Dayenu, Passover, and Russians, right? Well, I just got to tell you, I love the Russian people. I've had an opportunity to uh, do team development uh, for missionaries in Russia. Amy, my wife, and I, we've been there a number of times, and we've got to know a lot of different Russian people over the years. Now, I remember on my first trips uh, in <laughs> to Russia, we're on the subways or we're moving through town, and and uh, I'm just looking, and nobody was smiling. And you're on the subways, eyes are downcast. They avert. No, no one wanted to look us in the eye, and it it was really hard to find a smile anywhere. You know, like in the U.S., you go to a store, you go somewhere. There's always a smile to greet you. You walk in the front door of Walmart, and you have the Walmart greeter, and that greeter has a smile. I mean, everywhere you go, we're like this country of happy, right? Yeah, or are we? I remember I was talking to uh, a, a friend of mine, an international worker friend of mine who was working in St. Pete. And, and uh, I said, how come no one smiles? I said, you know, I tried to engage someone in a conversation, even after we're talking for a while. The, there's just there's just doesn't seem to be much life. And, and uh, my friend JB told me, he goes, oh, well, you need to understand, most Russians just think Americans are, are phony. And I was like, well, most Americans are phony, right? He says, no, they look at our, our, our smiles as just putting on a show. We're not really happy about anything. It's, it's phony. It's fake. And they're not phony, fake people. He says, so expressions on the face should match whatever's going on in your life. Therefore, they, uh, he, they tend to live their lives at neutral. And so if you do something that's worthy of a smile, then they'll smile for you. But if they don't know you and you haven't done anything worthy of a smile, then why would I smile? It doesn't make sense. Or if you do something that's worthy of the frown, then you actually go from neutral to angry. Well, and so I was talking to another uh, young man from Russia and I love this guy. He is, he is amazing. A conversation uh, with, with him, his name is Tim. It, it, it's just enlightening and life-giving. And he knows so much about so many things. And so I'm just sharing all of these quirky stories about my Russian encounters. And, and he was going, oh, no, no, that's, that's so true. He says, yeah, so for a, a Russian, uh, we'll live at neutral until there's something worth smiling about, then we smile, or then we frown. And I thought, man, how freeing is that, <laughs> right? How freeing is that? I mean, we are putting on a smile for everyone. We don't want anyone to not like us or anyone to think bad of us. And so we are always performing. We are always a shadow. We are always a false self. <laughs> uh, we're always singing Dainu with a smile, even though 
we hurt so deeply, right? Ah. I tell you that uh, lesson from my friend JB and uh, my Russian friend Tim meant so much to me about, you know, be honest with your emotions. Because I don't really think you can sing Dayenu from a false place or a performance place or a imposter or a poser place. It really needs to be authentic and from your soul. So have you ever said Dayenu from that place? Because here's, I don't know, here's no formulas, no tricks, no theological gymnastics, right? But it's, for me, it's when I get to that place and I simply accept whatever moror or bitterness or pain uh, that life has brought me. I just accept it, believing that God is in it with me. That's when I begin to move towards the heroset or the that God is sweet even in this place. But if I don't ever sit or dwell in that place, then I actually don't really know how good God is. Are you? Did you follow me on that? I need to sit in the place of pain in order to know that God is good versus I need to be delivered from the place of pain by God to believe he's good. No, I need to sit in that place and learn to sing Dainu through tears. And I think that's when God starts to bring us into an awareness that uh, he is the kind of God that longs to bless us, to grace us, to show up in ways that we can't imagine, that he, he doesn't want to just part the Red Sea. He wants to take us to a land, he, but he doesn't want to just take us to a land. He wants to provide for us along the way. And he not only wants to provide for us along the way, but he wants to reveal who he is. This whole Exodus journey moves us from brokenness, pain, darkness, bondage to this life with God, but it isn't a pickup, a pickup in, in point A hovering over pain and dropping us to the good stuff. It's along the way. And some of those journeys along the way, there's no water, there's no food, there's enemies, there's moror. But when we keep walking, we begin to see that God moves super abundantly, right? And I think that's where we need to talk about really good wine. (laughs) All right. So there is this really, really cool story in the gospel of John about Jesus, this rabbi, this itinerant rabbi. He's beginning his, his, uh, his ministry. And in the gospel of John, John kind of groups, it's a cool book. Um, John groups his story about the life of Jesus in, in these groupings of sevens. There's, there's seven miracles. There's seven I am statements. There's all of these movements of seven because 
what John wants you to realize as you read his story about Jesus is that, man, Jesus is the only way to really experience the life, to follow him and to fall in love uh, with the way he interacts with people uh, in the world is the way to live this life uh, that moves us beyond the maror, and we start to taste some of that heroset, right? Well, and John, the first miracle that John records of Jesus takes place at a wedding. And how cool is that, right? Uh, Jesus, in John chapter 2, um, well, in fact, let me just read the text for you. It's a great story. It starts on the third day. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. Now, when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And I love this response. Jesus says to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? Um, just so you know, there's, I've heard some interesting commentary on that Jesus says, woman, what is this to do with me? This seems disrespectful the way Jesus is is saying it and speaking to his mother, which a good rabbi would never do, right? Um, but really, the, the weight of that word woman means honored one. Honored one, why are you telling me that they're out of wine? My hour has not yet come. Oh, that is so good right there. All right, why are you telling me about the wine? You know it's not time for me to reveal yet who I am, why I'm here, and what I'm up to. What's really cool is next in the story, uh, Jesus' mom, she, she kind of pays no attention to, to his response. You know, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour's not yet come. It just moves quickly to his mother said to the servants, yeah, just do whatever he tells you. <laughs> you know, even if you are the sovereign God of the universe, enfleshed in humanity, you still has to obey your mother, right? That's so awesome. Now we have this, this shift. John's saying, okay, there's this wedding. Jesus is there with his disciples. His mom's there. They run out of wine. And just so you know, that's like the biggest faux pas that can possibly happen. The rabbis tell us that uh, with, when there is uh, no wine, there is no joy. Wine and joy are two things that are just linked together. Wine is a gift of the vine from God to his people to bring about joy. So a celebration uh, centers around the drinking of wine. And at this wedding, uh, they have run out. And that's a really bad day because, you know, a wedding in that time frame lasted more than a few hours like ours do here. It's a, it's a community gathering and a community party. So now John just tells us there just happened to be six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification. So six really big stone jars for, uh, for purification rituals. Each jar would hold 20 or 30 gallons of water. So those are some really large jars. Jesus says to the servants, okay, go fill the jars with water. So they went 
They filled them up right to the very top. And then Jesus says to them, okay, now draw some out and go take it to the master of the feast. Isn't this awesome? Jesus is just talking and they're all probably going, oh, this guy is going to kill us when we bring him water and telling him, hey, we got some more wine for you. But they do it, right? For whatever reason, Jesus has this way with people and they draw some out and they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water that had now become wine, he didn't know where it came from, although the servants knew. John like puts this like parentheses. I love it in the Gospel of John. You get these little side, uh, you know, commentaries along the way. It's like uh, the master didn't know where the wine had came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. <laughs> the master of the feast called the bridegroom and he said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first. (laughs) And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This is the first of his signs that Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. And the disciples believed in him. Oh, so many like mind-blowing moments in this first miracle, right? One, and just observations on the story that Jesus, who is, Jesus is the face and the voice of the invisible God. And so if you want to know who God is, you need to get to know who Jesus is in the stories about him. And when you read the stories about who Jesus is, I mean, you run in into that God is compassionate and graceful. He goes to parties. He savors the meal. He shows up when you least expect him to and when you least deserve his presence. He is this person that sits at a table and equalizes everyone around him. And that is so good. What I love here is that the first miracle, he is showing up at this community wedding and he provides the best wine, that Jesus was a winemaker. He turns this water to wine. Now he could have turned it into like you know, three buck chuck. He could have turned it into nine buck chuck, but he goes apparently for the boutique winery of, you know, the super expensive premium estate crown wine. And it's so good that the master of the ceremonies is like, oh my gosh, no one brings the good stuff out later, but you have. You have honored us all so well. Yeah, so that tells me something about who God is as revealed through the face, the hands, and the voice of Jesus. And that he is the God that wants to give you and do more and love you more than you can possibly, possibly imagine. He's the God that could work in your life, you know, at a minimal level, but he is always at work doing something. He is always up to something. He's always bringing you somewhere 
else. He's always leading you on an exodus because the place where you're at isn't the place where you long to be. That hum that is in your soul is the spirit calling you deeper and deeper into him. It's the drawing voice of the divine saying life is meant to be lived in such beautiful ways. And we all know we're not tasting it yet, that we're bumping into the maror along the way. Uh, but maybe this week, as you think about Dainu, Russians, and really good wine, have a, uh, have a nice glass of Bordeaux for me. Dip the pierced and striped unleavened bread into the maror with cheroset. Reminding yourself that because God loves me, it's sufficient, even when I'm having a hard time believing that it's sufficient. All right, my friends, I think I'm going to bring it to a close for this episode of my podcast. I hope you found some nuggets and some bits and some pieces in there that bring joy and light and life to your soul. Um, I look forward to speaking to you soon as we head towards building the next podcast. Until then, have an amazing day. We'll talk to you later.